Tonight's episode is brought to you by your local animal rescue, survivalfeeling.com, and you, our listeners. Not like Walmart Ozark Trail stuff. Okay, I might have just got myself sued, but I don't care. It's better than you going out there and needing it in a pinch and then dying because the piece of crap fell apart in your hands. What is up, all of you wayward souls, and welcome back to the Wayward Stories podcast. Wayward Stories is the podcast where we tell stories, all the stories, any kind of stories. It's all about our big adventures that we get into out there as we go about trying to explore the world, explore ourselves, find ourselves, all the things we do. We exist for one reason and one reason alone, and that is to be storytellers. And we want you to be storytellers as well. So if you have a story, some adventure you've been on, or some great philosophical epiphany that you've stumbled across while you were out there looking for yourself, shoot us an email at mywaywardstory at gmail.com. We would love to have you on the show and incorporate your story into the broad spectrum of this platform that we are trying to build here this big community we're trying to put together glad to have you guys back how y'all doing how you doing (laughs) how you doing i'm doing all right here um we are into what the um kind of towards the middle of the first week of december second week of december now you guys only got two weeks left for christmas roll around or for some of y'all hanukkah like for my daughter it's Hanukkah. Just like a great wise man once said, I believe his name was Adam Sandler. Instead of one day of presents, we get eight crazy nights. Um, So we have a lot of fun with that. I personally, very broad, broad spiritual beliefs, you know, like I'm kind of cool with everything. Um, But she is specifically um, a practicing version of Judaism. It's kind of like, you'd call it like reform Judaism in a way. Um, but it's a lot of fun. We get to do, do some fun cultural Jewish stuff and it's a whole lot of fun for us. Um, and we, we greatly enjoy it. I got to get on my, uh, Hanukkah shopping, I guess, but I did come up with a menorah this year. So I'm excited about that. But you guys, y'all out there, if y'all out there and you still haven't ordered your stuff, Good luck. Um, a little bit. We're doing a little housekeeping here. So let's talk about why did I say your local animal rescues when we started this show? Why did I say that as one of our sponsors of tonight's show? Of course, they're not. They're more like a sponsor in um, honorary status. They ain't nobody giving me no money to say that. Um, but I just like to bring um, awareness to certain things that are important at certain times of the year or whatever. And right now, this is a really important time of year for you guys to be thinking about checking out your local animal rescue. If you want a little furry buddy, like now's a good time to get it because with cold weather comes, you know, an influx of animals. People will start picking them up and taking the strays into the shelters because it gets really cold and they're going to sit out there and freeze to death. And that's super sad. Nobody likes to see that. So they get a little bit overwhelmed with um, new furry critters. And now's a great time to go um, pick one up. This fat cat that walks around in this house of mine, sometimes you probably hear him in the background yelling. He is going on 14 years old and well, this month, actually, I picked him up from the shelter in January of 2008, 13 years and like 11 months ago now. And he was abandoned in a trash can with his litter um, somewhere here in Sebastian County and ended up at the Sebastian County Humane Society. And I ended up with this little fuzz butt. And anyway, 
he's been a good buddy for the last 14 years. Like there's, that's the thing about cats. Like a lot of people are not cat people, but I think y'all are just old codgers if you're not cat people. Like the thing about cats is they don't care if you live or die. They really don't. Like if you die, they'll just eat your eyeballs first. Like that's what's going to happen if you die and no one comes and finds you and your cat's in the house. Once he runs out of food, your eyeballs, your tongue, that's all the stuff first to go. So, you know, just know that. But that's also like what's so endearing about cats. Like it's that attitude that, you know what, screw you. They just, they don't care. And they just want you to pet them. They want you to feed them on their terms. And then they just want to push your crap off the counter. And I don't know. It's just that, you know, they have no more bothers to give. Like that's, that's what I've adopted recently instead of no more F's to give, even though it feels better to say it that way. I saw a little thing with Winnie the Pooh talking about he has no more bothers to give. So that's much more family friendly. That's much more PG. And that's what we're going to adopt here on the show moving forward. But cats, they have no bothers to give. They give no bothers about you. They give no bothers about anybody. And that's just sincerely, sincerely endearing to me. I also love dogs a whole lot. But cats, a lot easier to tend. Like I can actually leave the house for two days at a time and he's going to be just fine. Actually, he's probably going to be happy without me. He throws these little kitty house parties like I know he does because there's no way when no one coming into this house for two days, it gets like as nasty as it does the floors and stuff. There's only one way to explain it. He's letting all his buddies in here and he's throwing little block parties, but they take care of themselves. They don't, you don't have to worry about them that much. So anyway, it's getting cold. If you need a puppy dog or a kitty cat and you are in the market, you need to go out and you need to go check out your local animal rescue and get some of those guys out of the system and get them into your house and also consider philanthropically maybe supporting your local humane society or animal rescue because they need all the help they can get. We actually don't have one in this county anymore because there weren't enough people to support it. And that's kind of a travesty. That's a lot of critters out there that aren't getting saved from the cold right now. Anyway, let's get on with it. Tonight, if you've looked at the title of the episode, you can see we are talking about my 24-hour search and rescue bag, or hiking pack hacks, or just hiking packs in general. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Like, thought should absolutely be put into your hiking pack. Um... When the reason we're going to look at this from the 24 hour search and rescue standpoint is number one, I'll be completely honest with you, total transparency around here. The title alone will get more downloads. Like I've just learned how you have to title things. And we're going to talk about my 24 hour search and rescue pack. But the reason that that's not like in any way really sincerely maliciously deceitful is because basically your hiking pack as it stands is only lacking four or five, six items maybe that would make it a quote unquote 24 hour search and rescue bag. There's only a small handful of search and rescue specific gear in my bag that makes it search and rescue specific. The rest of it is stuff everyone should have in their hiking pack. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. There are two general rules. We're going to go over this in kind of in chunks. We're going to go over this as first and foremost, what we're going to get right into right now is packs in general, hiking packs in general. And then we'll kind of touch on the SAR specific stuff a little bit later on. And then towards the end of the show, we're actually going to talk about what should go in your trauma kit and your first aid kit. Because even if you aren't trained in disaster medical or first aid, 
you should have a trauma kit with a few little things. And I'm going to tell you what they are. I'm going to tell you why you need to have them because you don't have to have specialized training to have them. And you could save someone's life out there on the trail with just these few little things. So we're going to talk about everything, but we're going to break it up. We're going to compartmentalize it. There are a couple of rules when it comes to your hiking pack. Number one is, and this is especially, you're going to run into this in like survival forums or people who are like survivalists or preppers. You're going to run into this when you get into search and rescue because your gear counts. It really matters because somebody's life could be on the line. Um, one of the first rules is two is one, one is none. If you only have one of something really, really important in your pack, it's as good as not having any because when that thing fails, when it breaks, and trust me, that's how the cookie crumbles. That's the whole Murphy's Law thing. You ever watch Milo Murphy's Law? Side tangent, you guys ever watch Milo Murphy's Law? Weird Al is like the voice of the main character. It's a cartoon my daughter and I have watched. That's a really good show. That is hilarious. But anyway, Murphy's Law. If you really need it in the moment you need it, it's going to break. Two is one, one is none. So if it's super important, make sure you have a backup for it. Um, and the other rule is the rule of threes. Well, we're talking about your personal physical survival in the wilderness should you get stuck out there for a day or two or three. Um, and the rule is a survival rule of three. Three minutes without air, three mi hours without shelter, three days without water, three weeks without food. How long you can survive. That is not hard and fast. Okay, that's broad. Three minutes, pretty hard and fast. Three hours without shelter, not really. You could go three weeks without shelter if you're in an incredibly temperate climate where it's 72 and sunny and no storms ever come. There are climates on earth that are kind of like that. Three days without water, not true at all. Like, but it's a good general idea. You'll last a day to two days without water, um, unless you're in the Sahara Desert or the Mojave or somewhere like that. Um, in three weeks without food, gosh, y'all, y'all could go two months without food. If you really, really had to, it'd be really uncomfortable. But the idea is not that these are hard and fast and you have to have shelter within three hours or you're going to die or water within three days. Guys, you might need water within three hours, but it lines it out in a nice kind of gradient, an escalation of what's most important. What we're worried about is the shelter, the water and the food. And essentially that order, depending on the part of the country you're in, the water may be more important than the shelter. In fact, I would venture to say it's probably almost always going to be more important than the shelter. But the point is, you need water as quick as possible and you need shelter as quick as possible. Shelter includes fire, okay? Just to clean up and compartmentalize cleanly the subject matter here. Shelter includes fire. Fire is the one of the most important things you can have, especially in cooler climates. It's incredibly important. Or if you're in a situation like, say, um, out in the American West. I was about to say somewhere like a jungle, but not many of us are going to be in jungles. Some of you guys that are listening from around the world might be. But most of us aren't in super big jungle predator territory. But like mountain lions, absolutely out in the American West. Fire is very important to also help keep you safe at night. It's great morale boost. It will keep you alive. It will dry out your clothes if they're wet, which will save your life when it comes to, say, hypothermia. Fire is incredibly important, and it gets kind of just umbrellaed in under shelter. So water, shelter, food. So we're going to talk about what you need to have in your pack 
to kind of cover all of these specifics. And something here, disclaimer, a lot of you guys are probably already writing the emails. You're probably already typing right here in the comments under this video on YouTube how wrong I am even though you haven't heard what I have to say about any of it yet. Like that's just life when you put your stuff out there. When you have an opinion and you put yourself out there, people are gonna come at you. They don't listen to anything, your disclaimers. But we're still gonna make a disclaimer here and it is this. This is all subjective to the area of the country or the world in which you live, okay? This is subjective simply to the fact that, hell, you might not even take a pack out. And you know what, if you're going to go that way, be my guest, but like, don't expect a lot of sympathy when someone has to come save you. Okay. If you're going to hike, even day hike, you should have some kind of a small pack with just a few essentials. It's incredibly important that you just have a few little things and have a little bit of knowledge to keep you safe in case you get lost. Cause people get lost all the dang time. Experienced people, people with years and years and years of experience get lost. It happens. So everything I'm going to put in here, yeah, you may do it a different way. You may see it a different way. You might have other gear that you like better. That is fine and dandy. This is just my offering to you of how my pack looks based on five years of experience in search and rescue. And there's some good ideas in here. I love to listen to gear episodes or watch gear videos and what people use and people, because you might get ideas. I've gotten a lot of ideas from the old interwebs, from listening to other people. Though I might not subscribe to how they pack their pack, I don't have to doesn't matter. There is no right and wrong here. There's just, let's all keep each other alive. Let's keep ourselves alive and be able to go home to our children and our spouses and the people we love in our life. So write your emails if you must. Just understand I'm offering this as just some ideas for you to take into account. And also do, by all means, write those comments. Just be nice about it. Tell me what you think and things that you use. Here's the thing. This is area specific stuff, okay? What I need in Arkansas in my hiking pack for my specific team and the kinds of rescues or searches that we specifically are gonna undertake or even hikes, just hiking. Remember, we're doing both here, search and rescue and just a hiking pack. They're essentially the same pack. So I'm gonna need things that are completely different than somebody that lives in the upper Rocky Mountains. I'm gonna need something different than someone in say Bolivia or Central America or South America. Like we got people listening all over the world. You guys ride in from Europe and be like, that's not how you pack a pack. I'm gonna be like, that is how I pack a pack in Arkansas, America. Like in your part of the world, you're gonna need different things. The environment specific. Like, just like your pack, in a lot of cases, will be mission specific. We're going out for a specific mission. I'm going to need a couple of different specific things. Anyway, that's the disclaimer. Just take it as an offering for some ideas and just kind of listen and enjoy. That's what we're here to do is share ideas and try to just, you know, entertain. We're here to entertain and ho hopefully offer useful information. So we've gone over our rules. Two is one, one is none. So you always got to have two of the most important things. We're going to talk about those and the rule of threes. You got to have water, shelter, and then food. Food is the very least important to the point that really it's not even a consideration. Okay. We don't even really think about that. We worry about fire, shelter, water. So talking about hiking packs in general first, these are all things that you should have in your hiking pack. Um, and again, We'll get to SAR specific stuff later, but here's the thing. There's really only a couple of SAR specific, specific items in my pack. The rest of this stuff is useful in general 
every day for any hike, even down to just a little day hike. All of this stuff, all of this that I'm about to tell you lives in a little Moab 10 sling pack. Like it's not a big pack and it just slings around my shoulder and I carry it on every hike, every bike ride. I have it everywhere I go. I keep my camera for photography in it. So this is not, it's going to sound like a lot because we're going to be listing it out, but it's not really a lot. Um, so packs in general, your hiking pack in general, let's start with water. Water is the single most important thing. You will die in a bad environment. Like guys, Arkansas in August, late afternoon, you could be dead pretty quick. You're going to sweat just breathing. You step outside, you have a moist blanket on you of just humidity. Okay. You're going to sweat all day, no matter what you're doing. And if you go out and you hike and it gets strenuous, you will lose water. Like you will leak water like a sieve. You have no idea unless you live in the South in August. Um, so water is the single most important one. The first things you should have and everyone should have in their pack is a life straw or a comparable option. I like life straws because they are small. They are lightweight. They're very packable guys. You can get into all kinds of water filtration systems, but there's no need to have all of that extra weight. That's for like through hiking stuff. This is, we're talking about a 24 hour bag. Okay. Slash day hiking pack or a one or two day overnight pack, just short term stuff. You don't need the weight of a larger, more complicated water purification system. What you need is some bottles of water and then you need a life straw so that you can go to any water source that you can find and drink out of it safely. Life straws are that good. They absolutely are. And a second optional idea that you can throw into that mix is if you're going to carry water bottles out, consider getting a stainless steel water bottle. And as long as it doesn't have paint on it and it is stainless steel, both outside and in, you can carry X amount of water in it, whatever it is, 20 ounces, 32 ounces, and drink your water out of that. But should you get into a situation and you had to stay somewhere for a day or two, kind of basically shelter in place for a day or two while you wait for your own extraction, you can boil water in it, but it has to be a stainless steel. It has to be. I mean, I'm sure there are other things out there. You could probably get like ceramic ones. I have no idea, but that would be heavy. Aluminum or stainless steel, thick walled bottle with no paint on it. You can absolutely boil water in. So it serves that multi-purpose. You can carry water out that you're going to drink and then turn around and boil more water in it. But generally speaking, life straw first and foremost, and bottles of water. That right there is your two is one scenario. Bottles of water and a life straw is a backup. The stainless steel carrier is really a little bit of overkill, but it's a clever idea. I have one. Depending on the situation, I might deploy it. I may or I may not. I don't carry it every day, but I do own it. Um, next is going to be shelter. And so let's talk about fire first. Fire is supremely important even like here in arkansas say here in arkansas in late august you can have 95 degree days with 90 percent humidity and nearly have a heat stroke and turn around and be camping on a mountaintop and at two in the morning it's like 51 degrees and it is cold when you've sweated all dang day and you're up there on the side of the mountain it's not comfortable 
you need to be able to have fire in almost any environment. Okay. Hypothermia will kill you really fast. Someday we will probably talk about hypothermia. Um, and fire is one of the biggest, most important ways to help stave off that hypothermia. Cause one, you can get those wet skivvies off and you can dry them. That's super important. And just staying warm and again, protection from wildlife, like here in the South, wild boars, they're kind of a concern. Fire helps to keep them away from your camp all night. Out in the western U.S., be mountain lions. Somewhere in Bolivia, for all of you really exotic people out there, maybe keep the old pumas away. That They probably don't even live in Bolivia, do they? I should really Google some of this stuff before I say it to the public. Anyway, you get my gist, though. So, for fire, number one is the old-school weatherproof matches. You should just have matches because, again, two is one, one is none. We're not just taking one thing out. Some weatherproof matches and a striker with tinder, okay? Some kind of dry tinder. Like a lot of people like to use dryer lint. A lot of people like to use um, candle wax. You can pour paraffin into like those, uh, not styrofoam, but the cardboard um, egg cartons. Pour paraffin in there. Mix it up with a little bit of dryer lint. And you have really great fire starters. Those can be heavy, but it's up to you. But a little bit of tinder, a striker, and this is a freaking hiking pack hack, little bottle of hand sanitizer. If you have hand sanitizer that's over 70, I think it's like 67%, but let's just be safe and say anything over 70% alcohol content and hand sanitizer, that stuff is like go-go juice. It is fire gel in a bottle. It's multi-purpose. In a really bad situation, you could cleanse a wound with it it's not the best case scenario but it's better than gangrene and two you know you can obviously sanitize your hands but three it's it's go-go juice it's fire gel and it's amazing at that it burns for longer because it's like a it's alcohol based but it's in a gel kind of like a petrol gel so it's great it's fire gel it's fire gel so carry a little bottle of hand sanitizer it's perfect multi-purpose and it's a great fire starter. If you get some of that hand sanitizer onto, we should have a bushcraft episode too. We're going to have to look into that in the future, but you know how split wood, you know, we're talking log size, split wood burns easier, catches easier, burns better, burns easier than full logs, right? That is true in concept all the way down the chain to little bitty twigs in your tinder. And if you're in a bad situation and you really need that fire to start, you get out your knife, you split pieces of wood, you spit, split your twigs, you shave your twigs and get them to where they have little curly cues off of them. You have to break it down into even smaller split chunks and open up the raw po portion of the wood, the face of the wood to be able to catch on fire. Anyway, just little pack hacks. But if you put that, get you a good tinder bundle down there of split wood, split twigs and all that stuff to light your larger fire and you pour some of your hand sanitizer in there, that gel will burn for 40, 50 seconds, maybe longer than a minute. Really increases your chances of starting a fire in less than perfect conditions. So weatherproof matches, striker and tinder. That technically satisfies our two is one, one is none rule, right? But here's like the other thing. Don't go out there to be MacGyver. Don't go out there to be Bear Grylls. Don't go out there to be Les Stroud. Don't go out there to be Survivor Man. Like, you want to survive. You, you're not out there trying to prove how much testosterone you have or how capable of a woman you are. That's not what they're here to do. We're not out there to show how badass we are. 
We're out there to keep ourselves alive and hopefully save the lives of others when it comes to search and rescue. So carry a lighter, carry a lighter. There is simply no easier way to start a fire than with a lighter. A lot of people overlook that. I've taught bushcraft classes. I've taught firecraft classes where when I got to that point, I was like, guys, carry a lighter. I've had more than one person say to me, like, I feel like a complete idiot. Like I, it happened to me too. Okay. Like this is not me being all like, Oh, I know this thing. It happened to me originally. That's how I kind of learned this. One day it just struck me. It's like, I'm sitting here worried about, I got my striker, got my little all sparker, all these things. And I was like, yeah, it's so much easier to start with just a lighter. Why, why don't I have a lighter in here? And it's just, it's one of those things you get into this survival mindset. When you start talking about survival gear in a hiking pack, we don't even have to be talking all the crazy stuff that people have gotten into with prepping and this and that and the other, just typical hiker safety, survival means of survival in your backpack. You start thinking in terms of like survivor man, right? You start thinking of like bear grills and the stuff that he does carry a lighter it's the easiest way. Have a lighter in your pack and then have either a striker or weatherproof matches. I have all three because all three are super light and they're super tiny. I have all three. Um, and fire just incredibly, incredibly important to your survival. Now, as far as the other half of shelter, like fire, again, gets scrunched in under shelter. But as far as actual shelter goes, um, there are multiple ways you can approach shelter, guys. There are multiple ways that you can approach shelter. Um, the way that I do personally here in Arkansas for the majority of our conditions that we're ever going to deal with. Um, I have a SOL bivy sack and it's kind of like a glorified space blanket. Okay. Like you've all seen the space blanket. You all probably have several in your pack somewhere in your car stuffed in every nook and cranny and hidey hole you can find an SOL bivy sack cost about four times as much. It's about $20, but it's still only a $20 bill. And what it is, is it's, it's, it's like, it's an upgraded version of a space blanket. It accomplished the same purpose, but it's not a blanket. You actually go into it like a mummy bag. So it is far more efficient at keeping your body heat in. It comes in bright orange. So if you are lost and needing to be found, it is far more visible and it's just all together a better situation as far as shelter goes. You can, and that's again, my opinion, but I mean, I don't think anyone thinks a space blanket is better than that. Space blankets are good, but they're not the best by any means. Um, and plus space blankets are so light and easy. Carry one of those too. It's not going to take up much space and it's not going to add a lot of weight to your pack. Um, optionally. So we're going to say that's one. We're just going to count those as one. So we got to have one more thing. Optionally, you can have a rain fly or a tarp. Um, I prefer a rain fly. If you're going between rain fly or tarp, I prefer a rain fly, like a good brand, like an Eno or something, because they are much lighter and they pack much smaller than tarps. However, a tarp is $5. A good Eno rain fly is $120. So that's up to you. Okay. That's up to you. But that is a good backup idea. I personally, 
I, again, I don't really carry either one of those. Like if I'm going to carry out something, it is a rain fly because I do a lot of hammock camping. Okay. So I already have a good rain fly. It'll go with me. It's kind of in my modular system. It lives in my footlocker that lives in my Xterra so that anytime I go out for any mission anywhere, whether I have to go to the EOC and or the D, DEM and I have to load up in a county vehicle or if I drive my personal vehicle there before I actually deploy into the field or into that emergency vehicle, I find out we get briefed. What are we getting into? And I take things specific to that time of year and that day and that specific search, etc. That's why it all lives in a footlocker modular system. Plug it in, plug take it back out, whatever you need to do. But I personally just mostly carry the SOL Bivy because it weighs next to nothing. It takes up almost no space. And then I'll have a space blanket in there and then also an emergency poncho. Um, an emergency, the cheap, flimsy emergency ponchos, one-time use things, those are great because you can use those to make a little bit of a... Um, like a lean to any kind of a shelter, a windbreak of any kind to keep you away from the weather. Um, tonight we need to stay more to just the gear in the bag, but there's so much we could talk about, about how to build that little lean to where to face it into the wind, where to place your fire to, you know, build and then build a fire bank, fill, build a, a heat reflection wall to push the heat into your lean to. There's so many things we could talk about, but we're talking about bare basics here. Two is one, one is none. SOL bivy or a space blanket. And then like an emergency poncho is the absolute lightest way to go, but it's also the least comfortable way to do it. Um, but that will satisfy your requirement to have shelter, some form of shelter. You have a way to have water. You have a way to have fire. Now you have a way to have shelter. Okay. Getting out of survival gear and into the rest of stuff. Two is one, one is none. Headlamp, have a second flashlight. If you don't mind carrying it, have a third flashlight. And then on top of that, have enough batteries for each flashlight you have to have backups. Like all of my flashlights run on AAAs and all of them run on three AAAs. Therefore, I have two flashlights, two headlamps in my pack. Therefore, I have six extra AAA batteries in my bag. You follow the logic there. Light is supremely important, more important than people give it credit for. If you have to move in the night because you your position has become compromised and you're in danger, say it's flooding and water's coming up and you have to move. Try doing that in the dark. You're going to break a leg. You're going to fall down a ravine. Guys, it is inherently dangerous to move in the dark. If you don't have light, your life gets inherently harder and incredibly more dangerous when you're out there in the woods. Light's incredibly important. So have two flashlights and battery backups for both. Um, you should have some kind of a cutting utensil. Okay. You can do that multiple ways. This is one where I only carry one because I don't need two cutting utensils to survive for a day and a night. I need a way to make fire. I need a way to make water. I just need one cutting utensil personally. I use a bushcraft knife um, that my good friend out in Chattanooga, Jason, shout him out because he's one of the best guys you'll ever meet, hooked me up with, sharpened himself. He is the knife guy. Actually, Jason's just the gear guy, period. It comes to anything. I don't care what you're talking about. Guns, knives, 
anything and everything. I mean, he's a he's a freaking chef, man. He's got a culinary degree. I think he's a general manager in training for a major nationwide chain of restaurants that's like bougie. Y'all, it's like bougie food. This guy knows what he's doing when it comes to knives, and he's about it. He sharpened this knife up for me. It is a bushcraft-specific knife. It's perfect. It's got like a 45 edge that I can rake a fire starter on. It's got the sharp point and a flat end where I can use it as a chisel. It's it's perfect. Um, And that's all the knife I need out there. And that's actually almost a luxury item in my mind. Um, But I love it. He gave it to me. It was a gift and it works perfect. And, you know, you don't have to carry any kind of a hatchet. A lot of people like to carry some kind of a small tomahawk or a hatchet so you can cut wood. Guys, learn to baton. If you have a bushcraft knife, you have your knife. You get you a nice little heavy piece of wet wood. Baton. It is a hatchet. You can cut down a small saplings big enough to do anything you need to do, whether it be fires or a way to build a lean to just by using the same principles and methods you use when you're using an axe or a hatchet and you're notching out a tree. You just do it with a knife and a heavy stick and you'll whack it. It works. Multi-purpose takes a lot of weight out of your bag by reducing the need um, to have that hatchet in there. But anyway, some kind of a cutting blade. I like to have a bushcraft knife. What's probably wisest for anyone out there is a multi-tool. The reason I don't have it listed here is because that's everyday carry for me. I've got a Leatherman. Um, I believe it's a, is it a wave? It doesn't matter. But a Leatherman that my mother got me 12, 13, 14 years ago. Still have it to this day. Still in amazing shape. And I still use it, especially with my job, almost on the daily. Um, I carry it on me on my belt at all times. So I didn't include it into the 24-hour bag because that, for me, is just everyday carry. But for you, if you don't carry something like that every day, you should have one, a good, solid one, not like Walmart Ozark Trail stuff. Okay, I might have just got myself sued, but I don't care. It's better than you going out there and needing it in a pinch and then dying because the piece of crap fell apart in your hands. Um, Get you like a Leatherman. You can get a $40, $50 Leatherman. You can get a lower-end Leatherman or a Gerber multi-tool. That's going to be a great tool. I'm sure there are other brands out there, but do have a multi-tool guys, the pliers and the knife alone. There's your cutting edge. There's a pair of pliers. There's you. The thing I find the most useful on them usually is a little Phillips head screwdriver and the little flathead screwdriver. You'd be amazed how often you come across a situation where you just need a screwdriver for a second, have a multi-tool in there. And that can satisfy your two is one, one is none. Cause you'll have a cutting edge on the multi-tool. You'll have a saw blade in the multi-tool. You'll have multiple things. I suggest having at least a multi-tool in there if you don't carry a fixed blade knife as well. Um, Compass. You need to have a compass. Even if it's just a basic Sylvan $19 deal from Academy, you need to have a compass. Not because you necessarily are going to have a map. Not because you necessarily know which way you need to go, but you need to be able to maintain a bearing. If you have a compass, then you can maintain a bearing and thus eliminate the possibility of you walking in circles. That's the most important thing. If you're going to try to go somewhere, if you know there's a road that way, you don't know how far, but you do know that's west and you know that there's a major highway somewhere to the west or there's groups of people somewhere to the north and there's houses and farms like, you know, you're going to know the general area that you're in. If you have a general idea, direction you should be traveling, 
you need a compass to stay moving in that direction. So a compass. Now, for search and rescue purposes, it should be a good lensatic compasses, compass, but we're not there yet. Paracord. Okay, not the crappy paracord that you use to make like bracelets and keychains that you buy at Walmart or Hobby Lobby. True paracord. There is not only a difference, there is a massive difference, a huge difference in quality in strength and how workable it is for anything you might ever need to work with it. But just a good section of it, y'all, maybe 30 to 50 feet of it. You can wrap it back on itself, cinch it down real tight. I should have got, for you guys watching on YouTube, I should have set my pack next to me where I could have showed you some of this the way I've done it. But just some true, for real, legit paracord. Have that in your pack. Um, Some S-beaners. You can do like the carabiners, but again, don't get the cheap crappy carabiners because the spring will give out and anything you might need to carry with it or use it for, they become useless. Get some nice night eyes S beaners. I got them all over every pack that I own. I use them in multiple, multiple um, applications for multiple things. They're incredible. Just have some S beaners on there because they're super handy. Have an emergency whistle. Okay. So if you get lost, you don't have to scream at the top of your lungs for two hours until your horse. And then when the search team gets within a half a mile of you and you can't scream anymore, you end up dead because you can't scream anymore. Emergency whistle. I mean, they're two or three bucks on Amazon, I think. Get one. Get one. It weighs nothing. Keep it in your pack. That way you can set up a little bit of it. Like if you ever get lost, guys, you sit there, you find a place to park it for the night. You know people are coming to look for you. You sit there and you blow the whistle every 10 minutes. Blow out SOS. Do whatever you want to do, but set up a schedule and blow it every 10 minutes, every five minutes, whatever. It does not take, you don't have to have a voice. You, you don't even have to be able to hardly move. If you can just put it in your mouth, you can blow the emergency whistle and we can hear it from much farther away. Um, and that should be in everyone's everyday general hiking pack. Um, what else? What else? What else? This is, I put in here optional on this, but I'm going to say that it's darn near something you should do, but a battery bank. You guys have seen those little battery banks. They're not much bigger than your phone. You charge them up once, keep them with you for a few months. And if you don't ever use it, just every few months, charge it up. Make sure it's fresh, but that way you have a whole charge for your phone in case something happens out there. Or if you're using your phone as a GPS, some of the best GPS software out there that you can get your hands on anymore. Guys, I have like a $500 freaking standalone Garmin. It was like $499 or something back in the early 2000s. Absolute garbage compared to ViewRanger, a $14 app I have on my phone right now. The best GPS I've ever had. Set it to NAT grid coordinates. You can set it to all your specs, how many digits you want to show, the whole nine, and it's incredible. And even when you're offline, even when you don't have cell service, even when you're out of network, your phone pings the satellite, okay? So if you preload your topo, your topo map for the general area you're going to, to hike or do whatever you're gonna do before you go there, preload it, download it while you're on cellular network somewhere or on your home Wi-Fi, when you get out there in the woods and you lose cell service, you still have an interactive topographic map because it's downloaded to your phone, those particular tiles, and your GPS is pinging off the satellite, giving triangulation and telling your software where you're at. 
it's great stuff. It's great stuff. But the point is battery bank, have a battery bank to get a charge, another charge in your phone that could easily very well save your life in some scenarios. We're going to take commercial break now and we'll get right back to you after this message. I want to take a second to tell you guys about tonight's sponsor, Survival Feeling. Survival Feeling is a hiking brand based in Greece, and they offer an assortment of gear that's aimed towards the goal of helping you better enjoy your time outside. And that is, of course, what we are all about here at Wayward Stories. I really like this company for a lot of reasons, but chief amongst them is that they were founded with giving back to the community in mind. They donate a portion of all proceeds to organizations like the Wildland Firefighters Foundation to help support those who work to keep us all safe while we're out there trying to find ourselves. We've partnered with them to bring you guys a unique coupon code that will save you wayward souls 15% off of your order. Go to survivalfeeling.com and use offer code waywardstories at checkout. Once again, that's survivalfeeling.com and use the offer code waywardstories. And welcome back. Thank you guys for hanging around for the commercials. Very important. Um, Let's get into SAR specific. Let's talk about search and rescue specific gear. That was a little bit of a tongue twister. I just said that like six times. But thanks to the magic of podcast editing, you only had to hear it the once. Um. All right, SAR specific, what's in my bag? Everything we talked about in the first half of the episode is in my bag, give or take a couple of things, depending on the mission, depending on the time of year. SAR specific, I have tubular webbing, like what you would consider, if you don't know what that is, it would be basically like ratchet strap webbing, but it's a little bit different kind, and it is used for making like a Swedish seat, some people call it a hasty harness. Um, rock climbers use them extensively. Some people repel with them. Hell, I have repelled with one of those. It was not comfortable. I did not care for it. I would much rather have a real commercial rescue harness, climbing harness, repelling harness, whatever you want to call it. But they, it is super handy. You have to have it. It's part of NASAR specified gear that everyone does have to have in their pack, no matter what part of the country you're in. And there's a reason for that. They are multi-use. Not only can you tie up that Swedish seat and use it to hang your butt off the side of a cliff and go save someone in a pinch if you had to, they also work great for anyone that has to work an edge or a low angle rescue. You don't have to be repelling and hanging off a bluff face, off a sheer drop to need basically a rope setup, a rope scenario. Swedish seats are great because you can tie that dude on. It's not super heavy or super bulky to carry out. It's like mission specific stuff. You don't have to have the big harness strapped to your bag going out. You get there, you realize the person's at the bottom of a ravine. It's at a very steep angle. It's not a full on rappel situation, but you need to be on rope. You tie up your hasty harness, you throw your rope out and you use that and you couple it up with a, um, a prussic loop and you've got a basic little belay setup. Totally useful, totally off the cuff. Or if you have to work the edge while someone else is going over, you have to be safely tied off, right? You use a prussic sling and you use your safety harness that you've put together out of this, this one inch webbing, make your sweetest seat out of it, your hasty harness, tie yourself off to the rope with a, uh, with a carabiner and a prussic loop. And you've got a totally functional, 100% functional safety setup. And you are tied off and you can safely work the edge of anything in any kind of an incident and be good to go. So my bag has 
I think it's 20 feet of that tubular webbing. I'm going to have a pair of leather palmed gloves. I like mechanics gloves because they're nice and tight in my hands, but with leather palms for repelling purposes. Um, a 65 inch um, section and a 53 inch section of rope for those prussic slings. We pre-tie those prussic loops so that they are always ready to go. You can use the S beaners we talked about and clip them to the side of your pack and you've always got them ready to go. A prussic rope needs to be roughly 65% of the diameter of the rope you're working. So whatever size rope you're working, your prussic rope needs to be made of about 65% the diameter of that. Um, those are strapped to my bag. Clue and trail marking tape, some kind of orange flagging tape. Keep flagging tape so that you can mark clues or you can mark your trail if you're getting way back into somewhere. Um, write in the rain notebook and a Sharpie. Um, and also a write in the rain pen. I have both. I have a write in the rain notebook with the write in the rain pen, which by the way, they say you can use it underwater. You can use it in outer space. So like someday when Elon Musk puts together his colony on Mars, if we got to go do like a rescue mission in outer space, well, I've got the pen for that. Anyway, Sharpies are great too, because Sharpies write big. They write permanently. They're easy to see. If you have to put a tourniquet on someone, you can put the time right there on their freaking forearm or their leg right above the tourniquet, right below it, wherever it's not I don't know, bloody or whatever. Put your tourniquet on. You can write the time it was applied right next to it with a Sharpie. Sharpies are great for multiple things. So have a Sharpie in there. A grid reader and a ruler. Set to NAT grid. To the metric system. To NAT grid. We do not use latitude longitude. That is for pilots and people that do that stuff. That's for incident command and the smart people up in planning and ops. Okay. Only pilots ever are going to need that lat launch. Okay, so there has to be the conversion and there's people for that. Okay, but for you out there ground pounding, doing your thing, you're going to be running on the national grid, the nat natty grid, and you're going to be using a grid reader and a ruler. That is incredibly important to have, like the grid reader specifically. The rulers are flexible. They're not heavy. Don't think of like the ruler you had in, in grade school. They're flexible. They're kind of plastic, um, but they're great for drawing out azimuths off of your grid reader. When you've got a bearing you need to hit, you get your marks lined out on the grid reader and then you can slide that ruler right over it, get your angle that you need, draw that line, and you've got the azimuth you need to take and you know how to line up your compass and get to getting. Um, waterproof map sleeve is pretty important because in best case scenarios, you're gonna have some kind of a map. You know, even if it's not a great map, even if it's just a map a family member drew because you don't have access at that very moment to the proper map for the area, the great, you know, good topo map, you will likely come across a map in best case scenarios. And most of the time when you're looking for someone, it just seems like it always rains. It's always wet. It's always wet. Just plan on that. It's always wet. So a waterproof map sleeve. They're pretty cheap. You can pick them up on Amazon. You can get them in a lot of outdoor stores, but a waterproof map sleeve, important to have in there for search and rescue. Um, extra skivvies, socks and underwear, one pair of socks and underwear and some kind of a dry sack inside your bag. Super important. Why is that? Nothing will ruin your day like wet socks and underwear and nothing will kill you in a cool environment like wet socks and underwear. So just one pair doesn't weigh much. You can tighten it down. You can cinch it down. You can compress a compression sack down. And this is important. This is a hack. This is a hack I've learned the hard way multiple times over the years because Ziplocs are cheap and easy, right? We all have them in the cabinet. 
they're cheap and easy. Don't ever put anything you don't want to get wet inside a Ziploc because when you compress the air out of it and you seal it, it immediately has a vacuum and starts trying to suck air in. It has suction as it sets. They're not great seals and they will anywhere there's even the tiniest hole that a bead of water can get through. If it becomes submersed or completely wet, it will actually suck the water into the thing that you want to keep dry. That's why you need a true dry sack or whatever to try to keep important things dry. So pack hack, don't ever put stuff that's super important in a Ziploc. It's not going to do the job. Um, ranger beads. Again, we're on search and rescue specific gear right at this moment. You need ranger beads, also known as pace count beads. I am about to commit blasphemy and say to you that I don't, I can't, I don't get down with, with ranger beads and I don't know anyone that does. Like you have to be able to use them. You have to do your pace count. You have to be able to prove that you can run out your pace count and you can go the right distance and find what you need to find with ranger beads. To get, um, I think, Sartek too. I don't know if that starts with one or two, but you have to be able to do that. It's important. Um, but let me tell you something. When you're looking for a human in the dark, if you needed to run your pace count, you're supposed to be looking for clues and people. Try counting in your head to your pace count, and then you move a beat. Two count to, you know, to 100 meters and then you move your beat again to 100 meters and then you move your beat again. Oh, we hit 1000 meters. That's a kilometer. Then we do the other beat. You almost have to just assign someone to that role in a team if you're going to actually try to keep a pace count. And it's so mind numbing. It's hard to keep track of your count, even when you're focusing on it. You're walking through the woods in the dark, tripping over crap. No, but you have to have them. So Ranger beads. I've got a nice set. My buddy Jay made for me again, made out of high vis orange paracord and glow in the dark beads. So you won't lose it at night. Super handy, but you got to have Ranger beads. I've set a Ranger beads. Um, and that's basically that is to recap it. That's your SAR specific gear that I have basically on my pack almost at all times. My 24 hour like turnout pack. And that's webbing, tubular webbing, 20 feet of it, leather palmed gloves. Two pre-tied Prusik slings, clue or trail marking tape, write in the rain notebook and a Sharpie, a grid reader, a map ruler, a waterproof map sleeve, extra socks and underwear, and ranger beads. Leave room in your pack for extra water because you need to go. You're going out there to find someone, right? We're talking search and rescue now. We're not just talking about your everyday hiking pack. We're talking about search and rescue now. You've gone out. You're in the middle of the night. You're on a 12-hour shift looking for someone. Leave room in your pack before you ever go out to throw extra bottles of water in there. You don't need your pack packed out to the brim like you're going to try to stay somewhere for three weeks. Don't fall victim. Don't fall prey to that trap of the whole kitchen sink mentality. Worst case, worst case, worst case scenario, I could get stuck out here for three weeks and maybe die. You can't think that way. Because you will, you'll have like a three week pack put together and then you're going to go out there and you're going to get smoked and then your buddies are going to have to drag you out of there while they're supposed to be looking for the other people that are missing. That's a part of that. Know your limitations thing. Be a part of the solution. Don't be a part of the problem. It's one of the biggest search and rescue mantras that anyone should have in their mind. Be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. 
know your limits. So don't fill your pack up with crap you don't need and go out there and get smoked. There's a balance to all of this. Carrying what you need and two of a lot of it, but keeping it light, keeping it simple, keeping it as low volume as possible so that you have room to add water for not only yourself, but possibly your victim. Also, calories. You need to have some calories in your bag. Like, I like cars. Trail mix, personally. The sweet and salty mix. Y'all, y'all, y'all. It's like M&M's and sunflower seeds. Like, like shelled sunflower seeds. And peanuts and um, raisins. And it's immaculate. They're like two ounce bags. There's like a bunch of calories in it. It's great. It's way better than like those Austin crackers. Those things, you burn through those in five minutes. You're still hungry after you eat them. I like trail mix. Anyway, they're simple. They're small. You can throw a few bags of those in there to help get you through a search shift. Um, also, if you really want to, you can get calorie blocks. They have those blocks be about the size of, gosh, I don't know how to describe it, but they're not very big. They're not super heavy. It'll be a whole day's worth of calories and they'll be cut into perforated sections. And it's not, not to taste great. I have some and they're like coconut based and they're actually pretty good. But the whole point is just keeping your stomach from growling. You don't want to be hangry. You don't want to be hangry when you're trying to find someone, when you're trying to save somebody's life or something, being hangry. And guys, it's easy to get hangry because it's four in the morning. You haven't slept. You worked all day. Then you got called out and then you haven't slept. You're out there. It's raining. It's cold. And then you get hungry. It can get ugly. Always keep just a few little bags of like trail mix or whatever you want. Something that keeps, something that won't go bad, something that like, another reason I like trail mix over like those little peanut butter crackers or cheese crackers or anything like that is trail mix, you can't really crush it. It's already crushed. It's already in tiny little pieces. You know, you crush those crackers, they're almost impossible to eat. Um, But just some kind of calories, whatever it is, make sure and have a little bit of room for a few calories for yourself more than anything. Extra water, mission specific gear. If you go out and you get a call out and you show up, make sure there's room in your pack. If you need to add some kind of specific gear, if you need to add climbing helmet, an actual harness, like a full on commercial harness to go down, to go up, to ascend or belay or do whatever the heck that is you need to do. I'm saying all the words tonight. My brain's getting a little tired, so I'm starting to like ramble a little bit. But any of the things that you need to do out there, you could have mission specific gear that you need to add to the mix. Have room in your pack for it. And also like have a pouch for comms. You may be like if you're a county sheriff or if you're a county employee or whatever, you may actually have an AWINS. But even if you don't and you're just a normal search and rescue volunteer that they won't let play with the toys like AWINS, you're still going to get two-way radio communications. Have a pouch for it on your pack, just ready to go to be assigned that walkie. But that's the stuff you should leave room for, especially when you get into the SAR-specific gear. Um, But let's move on to... The trauma kit, the medical kit, and let's talk about it a little bit. We're going to go through basics first. This is, we'll do it just like the first half of tonight. First thing we're going to talk about is something every hiker should have in their bag. And then the second stuff will be like a trauma kit additions that would be more for having a little bit of training in um, first aid. But let's get started with the basics. Lip balm, number one. Everyone should have it. Chapped lips suck. But it also is multi-purpose. Your knuckles get dry. You know how you get that? Your knuckles get dry and they start chapping. They start cracking. They start bleeding and they hurt like hell and like really windy, blustery conditions. You use the chapstick on your knuckles too. 
works just the same way. Also, it's an emergency candle. If you take it and you take, say, a Q-tip, say you keep a Q-tip in your bag. Some people keep a few. Cut it in half, shove the stick part of the Q-tip down into the wax, into the paraffin of the chapstick, and light the Q-tip. You've got a long-burning emergency candle. That is, and not just, you know, so that, ooh, I can see. No, it's to help start a fire. You know what's better than a lighter and burning your thumb? It's getting a good little candle going and having fire for four minutes or 10 minutes to help start a blaze. So lip balm, in my opinion, is a must have. Tylenol, ibuprofen, and Benadryl, all three, in my opinion, because some people can't take one or can't take the other. And then Benadryl, of course, is for any kind of allergic reaction, just some Benadryl. That's important, but some kind of pain reliever that that you use and that other people might use, and then some Benadryl. Have normal Band-Aids and a little bit of normal antibiotic. You can get those little hiking-style, easy-to-pack, individual portions of antibiotic. You don't have to have a whole bottle of Neosporin, um, but you can if you want. Neosporin's not real big, but normal Band-Aids, just everyday Band-Aids, triple antibiotic. Um, and then like Moleskin for blisters because that will save your trip. I've got one of my better performing YouTube videos for God's sake is how to apply moleskin for a blister. It's one of those things I was just trying to turn out some content and populate the old YouTube channel with some content. And we on a hike and person I was hiking with got a blister. And I was like, you know what? Here, hold this camera, hold my phone and click record. And you just hold the phone. And I just did like a three minute little, here's what you do with, here's what moleskin's for. Here's how you use it. Yeah, it's like one of the best. It's got like eight or 9,000 people have watched me slap moleskin on, on this person's ankle. Um, but moleskin is for that. I've actually, since that video, I've graduated. This is something y'all should all know about if you don't. Collagen Band-Aids. Collagen Band-Aids are the ish. They are the stuff, guys. Like, they are the cat's pajamas. Absolutely. They, for me, have replaced moleskin. They're actually smaller and easier to deal with. They'll cover up that blister for the better part of a week. They will stay on there. They're waterproof and they actually heal the blister. They don't just like buffer it. They heal it. They draw. Well, I mean, I don't know how to say this and it not be gross, but they draw from the inside out all the old juicy juice and it actually promotes healing from the core of the issue to the surface coming back. Collagen band-aids are like they're like a miracle of modern science in my mind of modern medicine. So I've moved on to collagen band-aids, but you can do moleskin or collagen band-aids. Um, some alcohol or antiseptic wipes just to sterilize a wound, your own hands before you touch someone else's wound and a pair of gloves, like just a simple pair of hopefully non latex gloves. Some people are allergic to latex, but in my opinion, that is a basic medical kit for anyone with no medical training whatsoever that everyone should just have in their back. And included with that is any personal medications you might need. If you have blood pressure issues or if you have heart issues or you have this, everyone's got their own prescriptions, right? Even I've got my own prescription. Um, Have a few of those. You can get these little baggies. <laughs> they actually look like Sweet God, they look like little meth baggies, but they are. They're medical like Ziploc bags. You can buy them at Walmart or anywhere and you can put a few pills in it. Mark it clearly with your Sharpie. This is my antacid medicine, 90 milligrams, 10 milligrams, what the hell ever it is. And keep that in your pack. Hell, that's how I actually keep the ibuprofen, the Tylenol and all the other ones in my bag because they're much more compact that way. You only need a few. Like you're not going out there to live forever. You need it for a couple of days. 
right? You just need it for a couple of days, 24 hour pack. I got to stay out here overnight. I run into someone on the trail and they've got a really bad headache. Let me help a brother out. That kind of thing. So get some of those little baggies and keep any specific meds you need to make your time comfortable out there. I think I've mentioned before, probably in some of my YouTube videos, I've got like chronic sinus issues my entire life. So there's certain medications that will literally save me from having the most miserable day of my life. If I'm out there on the trail and a high pressure front comes through and my friggin' rear sinuses don't drain and all of a sudden I've got a migraine. I know how to combat that, so I keep things that will combat that in my bag. So keep that in mind. When you're putting together your medical kit, these are bare basics, but add whatever little things you have to have to keep you safe or in some more extreme situations alive, like if you do have blood pressure or heart issues. Um, Now, on to the trauma kit. This is stuff I think everyone should have in there. This is more search and rescue specific, but I actually think that even the everyday hiker should have these things in their trauma kit because none of them are hard to use. They're all pretty much self-explanatory and every damn one of them could save somebody's life. Guys, if you've never come up on a situation where somebody sprained an ankle or broke a leg or fallen and got a really nasty cut that they're trying to keep from bleeding everywhere on the trail, you haven't been hiking very long. I say that not to be patronizing. I say it to make a point. It's going to happen. If you're out there, it may not happen to you, but it's going to happen and you're going to happen upon it if you spend enough time out there. It's the law of averages. It's just a matter of time. And all of the things I'm about to tell you can literally save someone's life and you as an untrained person could watch a YouTube video and know how to do it well enough to save someone's life. Um, first and foremost, the latest cat tourniquet. I don't know what the newest model of cat tourniquet is, but they're all good. Get a cat tourniquet. Tourniquets are not hard to use. They're not hard to use at all. You put it on, you start twisting it until the blood flow stops, and then you tie it off. It's all right there. It explains to you how to do it on the tourniquet itself. When you buy one, open it and use it on yourself. Practice with it. You can watch a video to tell you how, but I promise you, you can figure it out on your own. Anyway, have a tourniquet because literally a tourniquet will save someone's life. And don't worry about how long the tourniquet's going to be on them. Like the new, the newest studies, the newest info is like, it can be on there for hours and hours and hours and hours and people aren't going to lose a leg one way or another. Um, that's not what is the deciding factor. And if a limb gets lost and always remember life over limb, there's a reason that you've heard that said before life over limb. If you have to lose a limb to save a life, it's a hard reality, but it's better to save that life. Get a tourniquet. And don't worry about it. Just know how to use it. Look it up. Test it on yourself. And put it in your hiking pack as a part of your trauma kit. Compression gauze is going to be really important. Like a compressed thing of gauze where you can literally take that dude and you can shove it in a wide open wound. So it will start to expand as it, it it's, it's about clotting, guys. It's about clotting. If the wound's big enough, you'll know it. And that compression gauze will fit right into it. Um... Sea locks are quick clot. Quick clot, I don't know what it's where it's at these days, but forever I quit using it. I never, or I say I quit using it. I've never had to use it, but I quit carrying it because it was really damaging to the skin cells. Like it's like a chemical reaction thing. And I started carrying sea locks and that's still what I carry. But sea locks, all it is, is it's, it's to help 
a clot form quicker. If you had your compression gauze or your compressed gauze and you had sealox and you had a really bad gash on someone, you get that quick clot in there or that sealox and you get that compression bandage in there and you tie it off, it's going to stop the bleeding. It's going to start to clot. And that's what's the most important about it. And to go along with that is the Israeli bandage. You can get an Israeli bandage, military surplus versions, really good ones, multiple uses right on the package, how to use it, everything you need to know. You can YouTube videos. You can do whatever you need to do to learn about it. But everyone should have an Israeli bandage in their bag because they are multi-use, multi-functional, life-saving devices. And reinforced skin closures. And that's kind of more really that could go over in basics that's not necessarily like something that could save a life but a reinforced skin closure they're just wide strips you just put it if you got a big gash you can put it on one side and just tighten it all the way across seal off your skin essentially and seal off a wound and that's the key is to seal a wound up to keep things from getting into it so you don't get gangrene that's what those are really for you know, we don't need to go any further than that because anything beyond that is beyond training that you have if you're listening to this. And yeah, anything beyond that, you don't need to be um, you don't need to be out there performing tracheotomies unless you're like legit trained to do a tracheotomy. Right. There's nothing else that you really need to concern yourself with unless you have that training. And if you have that training, I assure you, you already have that gear and we don't need to line it out here in layperson's terms. Um, And that's it for all the gear. That's the trauma kit. That's the med kit. I personally am a proponent that everyone should have a trauma kit with these things in it because they're not hard to use. Most of them tell you how right on the packaging and you just sit down one night for five minutes. You can learn how to use a tourniquet. I promise you. And that tourniquet, that tourniquet to me is like knowing CPR. Everyone should know CPR too. The compressions. That's all that they're even doing anymore is the compressions. You get more oxygen from the rebound of the chest than you can ever blow out of your mouth into someone else's lungs. It's those two things right there, CPR and a cat tourniquet will save a life. And they're both simple. You do not have to have specialized, specialized training to do it. You just need to be shown how once and you can make it happen. Um, but let's get on to, well, we're getting on to the end of the episode. We've talked about all the stuff I've rambled. I've kind of stumbled through it a little bit and I apologize. I don't know why my mind's here. I'm with you guys mentally today. I think it's just in the back of my mind. I've got a million and a half things I need to do after I record this tonight and I got to do tomorrow in the next week before I go back to St. Louis for three weeks. Um, so I'm sorry for if this has like not had the flow. Uh, I've been getting better. I've been getting better at keeping the episodes moving and getting the flow going. And this one I can tell has been a little choppy. Um, I've struggled with it just a little bit and I apologize, but it's getting, man, it's print, copy and print it. We're going to put it out there. It's in the can. We got to, I can't turn around and re-record this and it probably wouldn't be any better if I did. But before we get on to the closing remarks from tonight, um, I just want to talk about best practices when it comes to your hiking pack or your search and rescue pack. This goes for either group, both groups. Again, it's essentially interchangeable. That's why I kind of put it all together tonight because it's the same pack and it's the same gear, save one or two extremely specialized items like a Swedish seat webbing, et cetera, et cetera, tubular webbing. Um, best practices, in my opinion, do spring cleaning every year, but do it in the spring and the fall reset your pack every spring and fall right before the major weather change. The main thing is hot weather, cold weather, right? 
fall gets here, that's what brought this episode on tonight is I sat down and I prepared my pack a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, God, that's got to be one of the next episode. We need to do that. We need to talk about it. You sit down with your pack for winter and you go into it and you replace all of the batteries. You put your backup batteries into your flashlight. You take the flash, the batteries that were in your flashlight setting in there for the last six months and you take them and you put them in your junk drawer to go into your TV remotes and your Wii remotes and your switch things and all the different things you have around the house you need batteries for. You throw them into the junk drawer to be used and not wasted. But you always, 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 always have fresh batteries and fresh backups in your bag. Every six months, you change out those batteries for anything you have. If you're a ham radio guy like me, if you're the comms guy and whatever it is, if you have batteries and you need battery backups, anything in your pack that takes batteries needs to have fresh battery and fresh fresh backups every six months. And the easiest way to remember it is when that weather changes and it reminds you, Hey baby, it's about to be winter hiking. That also means it's about to be winter searches and winter rescues, winter recoveries, whatever, get in that pack, clean it out, fresh batteries and everything. Make sure, you know, change out your food. If you keep calories in there, like I do a few bags of cars, trail mix, take them out and eat those damn things and put fresh bags of cars in there to go until spring. And then when spring rolls around, you do the same thing. You spring clean it for the summer. We're about to be hot weather. I'm going to take my ski cap and my neck gaiter and my heavy gloves out of my hiking pack that have been in there all winter waiting to go because I'm not going to need them until next winter. You lose all that weight. You move stuff that's more seasonal specific into the bag. You lose that weight. You add more water to it, right? So every six months or so, And it's on your schedule, but when you start rolling around to cool weather and you feel that fall breeze like me, when I feel that first fall breeze and I smell that crisp air and I smell and I see the leaves dropping, it always soothes my soul. It makes me happy because I love fall and I love winter. I love hiking in the winter. I love waterfalling in the winter. Um, And it just excites me. And I get the bag out and I reset my bag. I do the same thing for my Xterra. It's time for tire rotation. It's time for new windshield wipers. It's time for any upgrades that it's needed or repairs. And that way, over time, you were always on top of things. Everything you own is always ready to go. It's only been there setting for six months or so. You probably use it in that six months. But even if you don't, the batteries aren't going to go bad in six months. But you're constantly looking and checking every six months. If you see corrosion, uh uh-oh, it's time for a new headlamp, whatever. You're constantly going through your bag every six months. And for me, that's like best practices scenario. Um, And yeah, that's going to wrap us up for tonight. Like, God, that was abrupt, wasn't it? I told you guys it's choppy. It's choppy tonight. Like, I'm just like, I know what I want to say, but I'm not very conversational tonight. I'm just like, God, I got to get this done and get on to the next thing. And I hate to even tell you that. Because I don't want y'all to think that I don't care. I love making this show for y'all. I love sitting here and talking to you guys every other week for an hour. I wish I could get back to once a week. But I'm still working out of state. And for now, that's not going to happen. Um, I love doing this. It's just, I am distracted tonight. There's a lot on my brain. And it was just like, that was like hitting a brick wall, wasn't it? I was talking a million miles a minute. And I was like, well, we're done. <laughs> anyway, we are done though. I appreciate you guys for tuning in. I hope I entertained you tonight, if nothing else. Beyond that, you guys need anything, want to see anything else we've got, go to the website, waywardstories.com. And, you know, 
that's all we got tonight. Until next time, you guys enjoy your winter, December time of year, moving into Christmas. I'll talk to you guys again here in a couple of weeks, right before Christmas. Until then, you guys go out there, be good to each other, be kind, and you know, consider going and adopting a little fuzzy buddy from the animal shelter because they don't like hanging out in those cages all alone at night.